Welcome to Genius Leadership, Overcoming Everything podcast. Join me every week for insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their roller coaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. I'm your host, Anna Lieben, and before we kick off, let me invite you to a complimentary strategy call where during 30 minutes we work on identifying your zone of genius and lay out a plan for you to stay in that zone as much as possible. Schedule the call via link in the show notes. And for now, let's take a ride together. Hey, Genius Leaders, I'm happy that you're tuning in for another episode of our podcast. Today, I'll be talking to Brian Williamson. And he is one of those people whom I wanted to get on the podcast just to have a conversation with him for my own sake. So bear with me, the selfish Anna but but I'm pretty sure you'll get the value from our conversation and get a lot of both inspiration and also practical tips on how to be a better leader of yourself and the others. So I'll talk a bit more about Brian in a moment, but I also want to give a shout out to one of our listeners uh, for leaving the review on Apple Podcasts. It's from P. Rosie from the United States. It's five stars and it's called People Matter. I'm a lifelong, lifelong student of leadership and I really appreciate the approach of this podcast. There is such a focus on people and doing what is right and not making things personal. The world will be a better place when we have the type of leadership that is promoted here. Bravo. Thank you so much, Rosie, and everyone else who is taking their time to go and leave that review, type some stars and write a couple of words why you think this podcast is valuable and worth of people's time. Because I appreciate your time. I'm eternally grateful for you tuning in and sharing this journey with us. And your review matters. It helps others to find the podcast and to decide to actually listen to it and give it a shot and learn from it. So if you're enjoying these conversations and you're tuning in from week to week or just listening for some episodes, then I'll be extra appreciative if you take another minute to to leave a review. So talking about Brian, you can read a bit more about him in the link to the in, in the show notes because I just couldn't pick everything and talk here because just the intro would be half an hour. But he's an amazing entrepreneur in Scotland. He's had a lot of different awards. In 2016, he was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award for his contribution to entrepreneurship. Then a year later, he was awarded an honorary doctorate in business administration by Glasgow Caledonian University. Two years later after that, he was recognized as one of the 30 Mavericks in Scotland by Business Insider. And Mavericks are the people, business people who are disrupting the world. So he's appreciated in the business world, let's say that way. And he's sharing very openly on his social media and in our conversation here as well about his journey, uh, about its highs and lows, and that it's a roller coaster. And each price comes with a price to it. You have to pay a price and um, sacrifice something to to get to those levels. And we discuss it very openly with Brian in our interview. I would like you to pay attention to several things. I really liked his idea that a leader has to get people on board. And for that, they need to help people to see how the leader and their company helps them to achieve their dreams. So it's it's not only about the vision of the leader and vision of the company that we have discussed on this podcast a lot, but it's also about connecting the dots between the visions of each individual and the 
dreams of each individual who is uh, contributing and how you as a company can help them achieve those dreams. Think about it that, that way. It's something what I, I talk about that leadership is about serving your people. And this is part of it. So I really liked how um, Brian puts it into words. We talk about his lowest low of the entrepreneurial journey in the 90s, when the same year as I went to school, <laughs> he was already long time in business. And at that moment, he almost lost everything, including his own house and the house of his parents. And he's talking about the learnings that he got from that journey. We're also talking about the learnings and the situation that he had the year after that, when he lost his father to the cancer. And his father has been a big role model of him uh, for, for Brian. And he's talking about the lessons that he learned from his dad. Brian has also um, gone through cancer himself years later and has been uh, discharged as uh, uh, cancer-free since 2018. So he's, he's have, he has perspectives on life, let's say that way. I also liked a lot how we talked about relying on your gut as an entrepreneur and how Brian pointed out that gut is actually based on a database of your experiences. So think about it. Gut is not just some woo thing. It's actually your experiences and your learnings from them. So that, I hope, turns the mind for some of you and actually helps you to reevaluate how much information do you need and how to bring in those feelings that you have. You know, this kind of feeling in the stomach that something is not right or you, you really want to do something even if the facts are showing you differently. You still have some experiences in your database that are giving you those feelings. And hopefully this gives you permission, permission to listen to those feelings and to follow your gut. We're discussing taking calculated risks and I really love the comparison of, of Brian's about crossing the Grand Canyon on the rope, that it's stupid to do it without any safety ropes. And how, because you have them, it doesn't mean that you need to use them, but it's still good to have those safety ropes. And it's the same in business, that you need to prepare yourself for the best scenarios, but it doesn't mean that you are manifesting them in some way. It's just those safety ropes to cross the canyon safely. We're also talking about asking for help and how important it is. And uh, Brian shares his experiences and perspectives on that. And uh, also about the working week, how it has evolved. And uh, Brian has given an example that his father used to work for six and a half days per week. And then it was six. And then it got down to five. And Brian is suggesting, like, why do we stop at five? And we discuss how some other ways might be optimal nowadays, especially with the, the kind of work that we're doing now, which is also, uh, which is a lot on the mental part rather than physical labor. So he's talking about his experience, how he lo lowered his work time and how it has affected his productivity and his life in general. And I really like how Brian is saying that he is passionate about being audaciously aspirational and how he's trying to give the wings, a wind to the, under the wings of others and help them achieve their own personal goals in business and in life. And how he's trying to inspire others to be audaciously aspirational. And also pay attention to his tips, both the, pra the, the practical tip of asking yourself the question of what's the problem that I'm a solution to? Just soak it in for a moment.
what is the problem that I am a solution to? Let's sit with it for, for a moment. And his pieces of advice about being kinder, being audaciously inspirational, and also creating social contract of mutual respect with everyone whom you're involved with. I hope that you enjoy this episode and the conversation just as much as I did talking to Brian. And let me know what you think, as always. Brian, warmest, warmest welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Anna. It's great to be here. I'm excited for the conversation because your profile just made me so fascinated by your journey as an entrepreneur and leader. And I have no clue which turns our conversation will take, but I'm sure that it will be super inspiring and helpful for the leaders and entrepreneurs listening to us. Yeah, no pressure then. <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure that whatever comes, it will be really great. So I usually start the conversation with the question of who is a leader and what is leadership to you? Um, well, I, I'm a strong believer in situational leadership. So what happens in different situations demands different leaders. So in the times of war, um, the UK needed a, a Churchill, didn't they? Because um, you need someone that can lead you through these troubled times where in, in different times you need a different form of leadership. And really good leaders can morph, almost be chameleon-like and blend into that background of what's suitable for the situation. But one of the guiding principles for me is that, especially being an entrepreneur, where you have a particular dream and you ask people to join you in your dream room, your business, and they're part of your dream. But what the key for me is I found as uh, a business matures is you get to a situation where um, the key is not to emphasize to someone how they can be part of your dream how you can make the company part of their dream and life because that's how you get sometimes what people would regard as ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So for me, leadership is how do you get the best out of people and getting the best out of people is making sure you understand them really inside out to make sure you can make the business part of their dream. That is a beautiful perspective that I think a lot of leaders might miss sometimes. And we talk a lot about the visionary leadership here, how you as a leader are responsible for communicating the, lead, the vision, vision you see for the company, for the society that you're creating, community. And uh, it's a very valuable perspective to actually say it's not about people jumping onto my ship, so to say, but maybe instead of actually explaining to them like, hey, you have this dream of yours. And by us getting our company to this and that uh, place, you actually will fulfill your dream in this and that way. It really turns everything upside down in a way in, in the leadership space and especially entrepreneurship, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you see some really fabulous performances from people that you never imagined. And, and it's always enormously pleasing to watch and learn from as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Has it been through the experience and your learnings that you've come to this vision or you've always seen the leadership from this perspective of getting people or serving people with their dreams coming to Well, I think um, it comes from a, a thread that's run all the way through my life, Anna, which really comes from my late dad, who, who in a difficult situation I was in at the time, um, managing some people. I was put in charge of a, a, a squad of people in a factory where I run a department, 
And it was a squad of people who were 27 people being made redundant from various departments in a, a large factory and were put into one squad and I was put in charge of them. So I had 27 people on death row ready to leave the business. But in these days, it was pretty unionised and I had to um, I had to abide by what had been negotiated, which was they were going to work for eight weeks. And I had them for eight weeks doing various tasks of painting this and that and sorting out and filing and doing all sorts of things that you never would get round to. Um, but managing people in death row really demanded a, a lot of skill and talent. And I remember going to my dad and saying, with some real challenges to say, I've been forced with people saying, I'm not doing that, are you going to sack me twice? So you're, you're, how do you actually get inside the head of someone who's got that sort of meaning and attitude? Um, my dad gave me some great advice. He said, get to know every person as really, as deeply as you can, understand what they do in their private life, because there'll be some really interesting people in there. They just are perhaps in the wrong place, but show a real interest in them as a person. And he used a phrase which was, you create a, a social contract of mutual respect. And that, for me, has been a guiding principle. If you show a mutual respect towards someone, therefore you are interested in them and what they can do, then I think you get the best out of people. So that's really where, that's the roots of how do you make the best be interested in them and how you can help them and turn uh, the business tremendously. What a powerful lesson that your dad has given you. And talking about your dad, you were discuss, uh, dis describing in your about section on LinkedIn that you had the tough period of the entrepreneurship roller coaster um, journey when uh, you almost lo lost everything, including the home and your parents' home. And then soon after you lost your dad. Would you like to um, go through that period to describe what have, you have been your learnings from that? And how have you been using them uh, in your career afterwards? Yeah, it was, uh, it's a really interesting time now that it's in the past. <laughs> um, it's probably the only time in my life where I physically went through a whole day on a Saturday and I could not sit down. I, 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 because the, the consequence of what I had done was so great, uh, I'd never been so worked up about this. And I reflected back on what happened. I had signed a contract. It was a contract for about eight or nine hundred thousand pounds to uh, rewire a rig in the west coast of Africa, and it, we only turned over about a million pounds at the time. So it was a really big contract. It expanded, and it was one of these contracts where we got paid what was called time and material. So I got paid for every person that was on that rig, and I had in addition to what I paid them as a margin, and the same thing for materials. So it looked like, well, you just couldn't lose on this contract. And whilst we had 10 and 15 people, and I think I made about £50 a day as a margin and worked seven days a week, um, it was quite good. But when I got up to 70 or 80 people, it was quite a lot of working capital. I put all my savings in there, the house was on the line. And then I remember I was asked by the bank manager, he said, you're quite a new business. I don't, I don't know if we can advance you any more in your overdraft. And I remember saying, I've got the contract and I've got business coming in. It just takes a while to get paid. 
said, we need a bit more security. Do you have any other assets? And I said, well, there is my, my mum and dad's house, but um, I don't know if I could uh, tell my um, my mum and dad that their blue-eyed son was risking their home in order for him to become a millionaire. Uh, I said, I just couldn't do that. I'll, I'll need to think about a solution overnight. And I remember in the morning going back to the bank manager and saying, I've decided, uh, his name was Alec, and I said, Alec, there's no way I can tell my mum and dad that I've risked their house for me to become a millionaire. So I've decided on a solution. Uh, I'm going to put their house up, but I'm just not going to tell them. So that was uh, that was quite a, a remarkable thing. And things went on really swimmingly well. And then, as you would expect, the control of the contract moved from the UK to Europe. We didn't have the best of relationships with the Parisian contract manager. And he said he wasn't paying me any more money because he didn't believe it was a time and materials contract. It should have been a fixed price. So I had to finish the contract and the £635,000 he wouldn't pay wouldn't be paid. <laughs> so um, I was within about 10 days of um, having no house, but still having a mortgage. I had two cars, which were through the business, so losing them. I would have uh, a mum and dad. My dad wasn't all that well at the time. And so it was just two young children. It was just like how to plan to collapse your life in one easy lesson. And I do remember the exact place I was in when finally I managed to to get some uh, release to the blockage and I got the contract back on stream and eventually it ended up a £2.1 million contract. And so in retrospect, everything worked out really well. And um, what I learned from that was you just never bet the ranch. Don't, don't go into the casino. Uh, look upon it as money that you're going to have fun with, not money you can't afford to lose. And... This was definitely, I thought, this was a sure thing, but as many entrepreneurs have asked me, what's your advice on this? As well, if it involves your house, I'm just telling you, don't do it. Uh, some people do do it and get away with it. Uh, I'm glad I did get away with it, but almost didn't, because it made me so careful at how I risk things in the future. And I remember later in life, my dad had gone and my mum was left, and she they lived in a house that I had built for them, and I went up to see her one Sunday and I thought I was seeking absolution and said, I'm going to tell her today that I had put her house on the line. So, of course, I said, Mum, I just have to tell you something. That, remember that big contract I had? And it was a lot of problems in West. Oh, yes, yes. I said, well, I actually had risked the house that you're living in and I could have lost all of that in my house. And she said, oh, that's interesting, son. And uh, it, I, I felt like she just didn't get it but I got absolution because I felt I had confessed <laughs> but uh, and I felt golly how disappointing it would have been for them to see their son uh, that had fallen from grace and had lost everything and they were impacted by it so it's a horrendous um, potential ending that ended up very well for me. Yeah, and that was not the last deal of yours I mean, in your career as an entrepreneur, far from that. And uh, it, it sounds like you have a lot of success with building the company successfully and running through the acquisitions and, and so on. So you said that you, you got much more careful with the risks that you are taking from that experience. Can you tell us a bit more about how are you evaluating risks? What is your attitude towards them? What are you looking at when you're getting into a new venture or just are facing some new decision to take? 
Well, I, I think kind of when you get into something, there's the there's the entry cost, and that could be investment money. It, it may just be your own time, but you've got to. I I look upon it as this is money that I've almost given to charity that is gone, and I, I have got to look upon that. And if it's not money and it's just time, I look upon it in the same way. So I have to be careful in evaluating. I use a, a lot of gut feeling, and I, I know. For me, gut feeling is quite a complex. There's terabytes of information going on at the back of your head, making a decision that spits out with a yes or no or a view or an opinion. And lots of people say, well, that's just a gut uh, instinct, but it's based on terabytes of information. It's an enormous amount of data when you make a gut decision. So I do rely on that. But one thing for sure, I know when we started the research and development actually business called Jumpstart, that um, we, we were growing, we were doubling in size every quarter at the time. And it was just after the, the last recession, 2009, 8, 9, that started. And we took on investment in 2013 when we had a million pounds in the bank, which may sound quite non-logical. And the reason for that was because the risk of us moving, we had a, a particular model of sales that was employed self-employed people as opposed to employed salespeople and we needed to move to get more control over our sales process and to do that we had to pay chilling commission to self-employed people but we also had to pay new people who wouldn't generate sales for some time so that double hit in the cash would have been something we could have afforded but had it gone wrong that would have been all our war chests used up and we would have been perhaps on the breadline. So the decision at that time was, I think we should take on investment and it's to act as a safety net. And the safety net is at the end of the day when we sold the business uh, two years ago, now that the money that uh, we had taken on, mixture of loan and equity, I think it was £2 million of the loan capital. It was still in the bank intact, never had been used. And many people say, well, that was a bit stupid to take that on. So, well, um, if you're crossing the Grand Canyon on a tightrope and you've got a safety net, you just hope you don't need to use it. Because you didn't use it didn't mean to say it shouldn't have been there. And because it was there, perhaps you viewed your walk along the tightrope slightly differently. So I think the, the view now about risk is... It wasn't just my risk. It, it was the business could have gone under and it wouldn't really have impacted me that much financially. However, at that time, I think we had 70 people, mainly PhDs. They, they all had families and commitments. And the principle behind that was we were making a decision for 70 people and their families. So I, I think for, for me, there was absolutely... Um, no choice in the matter. It was one to de-risk the potential for it going wrong rather than be the bravado of we'll manage and, and just fly the flag and hope people follow. And you're actually, you're going, yeah, I think my, my Wi-Fi said it was unstable, but it seems to be back. Yeah, yeah. And now I hear you and I see you all. I really love the comparison or the visualization you're given about the rope and say like walking on the rope crossing the Grand Canyon and having the safety net and I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs are missing and a lot of leaders are also not thinking about not thinking about in the corporate world as well and it's it's a great visualization to 
think about it. Like, okay, you are actually, your decision is affecting a lot of people. And it's not only you and your income, and it's not even only your uh, employees. It also uh, gets down to their families, for example. They might be the only breadwinner, for example, the primary breadwinner. And then you're affecting the potentially the education of their kids and so on. So it really ripples down and like triples down on how do you say it? Yeah, and that's true about lots of things in life, not just business, socially, how you interact with people, you know, random acts of kindness, all sorts of things that you can impact the world in quite a positive place uh, or quite a negative way because of that ripple effect. How do you dare to do any kind of affairs <laughs> with these risks in front of you or hanging over you all the time? Well, it is a calculated risk, isn't it? That I feel that when someone asks me why did I invest and get involved in a business, then I would look at it from a point of view of what's the risk relative to the return. And I remember years ago, I used to go to the the, the gym every morning and before I went to work and there was a chap there funnily enough called Jim himself and he was a professional gambler and I remember him uh, telling me he was going down to the borders in Scotland to watch a horse that he really fancied and I said well I'll hear about it tomorrow morning how you got on and when I went in the next morning did your horse win and he said yes the horse won I said wow that's fabulous you must have you must be very happy with the returns you got and he said well I didn't bet on it and I said, you travelled all the way from central Scotland to the borders to watch a horse that you really liked and you didn't make on it. He said, the odds weren't right. I said, how does that work? He says, this is all about mathematics. If you bet on something when the odds are, are at a premium over the, the particular piece of time, you will make money. If you just bet on horses or anything, no matter the odds, then you're probably going to lose over time. So that made me think on, when I get involved in a company, what do I think the odds of success are? And can I improve the odds through my intervention and interaction with them? And if I feel I can add value, I really want to get involved because I think that's going to improve the odds and good old Jim and his mathematical equation will come true for me because in all businesses that I get involved in, don't necessarily succeed, but I'm improving the odds in a way that stack it in my benefit. And I should, at the end of my business life, come out plus rather than mm, minus. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any practical tip of, tips of advice or pieces of advice for our listeners and viewers about how can they start calculating risks? Because we discussed with you in a pre-chat or in a previous conversation that roller coasters are not for everyone. So not, neither do the uh, entrepreneurship journey fit any, any, everyone, right? And it's a lot about the calculating risks. So how can you as an aspiring entrepreneur or an entrepreneur actually make yourself better, you know, like improve and train in calculating the risks in a better way? Yeah, well, uh, for me, the, the analogy I would use here, Anna, is that uh, I did a couple of things in my life, which were were was were new for me. So in 2007, uh, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro for charity, and I think about two years later, I went on my first and only uh, boat race uh, halfway across Lake Michigan, and I was one of the crew. And neither of these I've ever done again. But we had Patrick as a guide to go up Kilimanjaro. He was up 
perhaps something like, I don't know, 30 times in a year. And he knew the, the problems with altitude, the, the need for health checks on a regular basis every night and every morning. So therefore, he had trod the path that I was going on. And similarly, Rick, um, when we were in his boat going on this, this yacht race, actually knew what a nimbus cloud looked like and how it could impact the, the, the journey of, of the yacht and when you needed um, to catch wind and not catch wind. Now, neither could have helped each other do their job better. So for me, the advice is look for someone that's trod that path, whether it's going up Kilimanjaro, going sailing or whatever, and ask them what they've learned. Um, because it's a um, terrible one for analogy, so forgive me, <laughs> Anna, but uh, you wouldn't ask a, a, a taxi driver um, to take you on a jumbo jet to, to Australia and equally well. You wouldn't expect a pilot to be able to find the back streets around a busy city in the UK to get you there in the shortest time. So whilst one may be viewed as having more skill, they've got different experience and they've trod different paths. So depending on your path, you really just want to find someone that's gone where you're going. And that may be in generic or specific terms. And ask as many people as you can about what they've learned. And it's far better to learn from them than learn for things that you've, uh, decisions that you've taken that haven't quite worked out the way you wanted them to. Yeah, that's so powerful. And it's so important. And I teach my clients a lot and people in my audience as well to ask for help and never do things alone. Because quite often when we are leaders, when we're in the top of the organization, we feel like all of the stakes are on our decisions and all the responsibilities are on us. And we just lock ourselves into this state of, I'm alone, I need to do it myself. And it's never the case, because just as you say, there is always someone who's done that. There's someone who is better at that already because they have more experience. And it's so important to tap into that all the time and remember that ask for pieces of advice, just discuss the situations. And just today, I got a response from one of the people with whom I had a strategy call. He said, I'm, I'm so grateful that you actually talked about the mentorship because now I'm looking for a mentor and I'm so excited because I felt lost in my business. I felt like I don't know what to do. And he's, he's now very excited about the next steps because he, he will find the person who will help him identify the the highest priorities for the, for his business development at the moment, and he'll take it further. So it's really about feeling or remembering that you're not alone. And whatever you're going through, someone has done that way already and that walked that path. So, in, and usually more often than not, we're happy to share. Yeah, I think the, the thing that comes out of that for me is having had a long career is in the early days, Asking for help is an admission of inability in some in some people's minds. So therefore, that can be framed quite negatively. But the way I frame it positively is that if I said to Anna, "Do you think you could help me with something?" I'm looking for a quote on on strategic leadership, and you've probably got these coming out your ears, Anna. So it's an easy gift for you to give me. But you get the great feeling of giving that gift. It's rather like at Christmas, do you? appreciate the gifts you get or do you appreciate the eyes of the child that gets the gift so this is it's a positive opportunity when you say I don't actually know enough about this but I think you know more than me would you mind giving me some help and advice that's giving them the benefit of allowing them to give you a gift so there's a 
a real positive bond is created through that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And here I want to actually uh, give two reminders to our listeners and viewers. First one, if you ever get a no, don't take it personally. It's not about you. Most often it's about the other person. They might have too much on their plate. They might not feel that they're the best fit for what you're asking for. So never take it personally, it, especially for someone who you don't really know well. It's not because they didn't like you or didn't like your profile on LinkedIn or didn't like your company. Most often it's just resources, for example, on their part or a fit. And the second part I would like to emphasize here is what you said. It's it's very pleasant feeling to give that help and to share our knowledge. And I sometimes say it like when my, when my clients are in a dip and they feel miserable, I say, go and help someone. That's the quickest and the safest way to feel better. When you find someone who really is in the worst situation than you in whatever way and you help them, you really feel better. It's just, it's neuroscience, right? It, it's in our bodies. It creates different processes and different chem chemistry in our brains. So it's a very powerful tool to, to tap into. So if you are being reached out to genius leaders and you're asked for, for help and support, give those pieces of advice because that will give you some extra positivity and better chemistry in your brain. Yeah, well, funny, an example sprung to mind as you were just talking about that. It's so true. And uh, when I was in an office in Edinburgh and I was the CEO of an organization, I was meeting someone from an office around the corner. And we got mixed up about who was coming to whose office. And as it turned out, I had to run out of my office and run around the corner. And as I was running around the corner, there was three tourists, um, American tourists with a map out, just lost. And I ran by them. And after about two or three yards, I screeched in my, my shoes to halt and ran back and said, you look lost, can I help you? And they said, we're trying to find a way to the castle. So... And I very quickly said, just follow this road, that road, left, right, and you're there, you'll see it, and then follow your nose thereafter. Now, that probably took me 60 seconds, and it was 60 seconds later than it would have been, but I went into that meeting feeling really positive. So you're absolutely right. It, it was, for me, one of these random acts of kindness that takes no time at all, but boosts your energy just mm -hmm. enormously. Yeah. And talking about the r random kinds of um, acts of kindness, one of the previous guests of on my show, Joachim Samuelsson, he's the CEO of Crunchfish in uh, Sweden. He gave that challenge to our listeners and viewers to do their random act of kindness and, and see what happens from that. Giving a compliment to someone on the street, for example, whom you don't know, or giving thanks to the cashier in the supermarket when they serve you, and so on. So see, it's a recurring theme here. So if you listeners have heard that challenge and have, have not taken it on, <laughs> here is a reminder that that's something for you to do as a homework from Genius Leadership Podcast. It works. It does. It does. So what would be the other um, great lessons of yours from the whole roller coaster ride of yours, Brian? I, well, I, I'm a quite high level. I'm what I would call myself, I've labeled myself as additionally, audaciously aspirational which means I believe I will be involved in a unicorn, a company worth a billion dollars or more. And I don't think that because it's a dream. I actually believe it in, in, in my own mind. So I think being audaciously aspirational is good. But somehow when you're at that conceptual level, you can lose track of the detail. And 
I'm not great at reading detail. I, although I did, I, I did read through a contract this morning for someone um, to, to help them out. But what I have learned is what you don't like doing, and for me it's trudging through detail, you need to have someone who knows the detail. So for me, my statement was always, I don't need to know the detail, but I need to know someone in the organisation knows the detail. So as long as you can give me that confidence, I'm happy with that because it's impossible to know the detail when you're involved in different companies. You just you just can't. You don't have the capacity to do that. So for me, it's making sure, and detail is down to things like running out of cash is, and, and again, forgive me for this analogy, but it's it's rather like if you cut yourself and you saw blood coming out of your arm or your leg, how long would it take and how much blood would you be prepared to lose before you say, I think I might have to get some help here? Well, in a business, you can hemorrhage cash very easily, but somehow you put a sticking plaster over your own personal um, business dashboard and ignore it until someone else, usually the lender, if you've borrowed money, said, I don't like the look of your balance. So that is interlinked with the detail for me is if you don't, I remember saying to someone, if you don't manage your cash, someone else will. You won't like the way they manage it. So make sure you put yourself in a metaphorical corner and say, I'm running out of cash. What can I do with it? Well, before you run out of cash. Because running out of cash is, is actually the thing that is a bit like running out of blood. It can sneak up and just catch you at the wrong time. So be prepared to know that level. Someone should know that level of detail and be the dashboard that say, we're okay, we're not going to run out of cash. Quite a lot of golden nuggets here that I want to emphasize, Brian. First one, uh, know your numbers. That's, that's the tough truth for the business owners and also the corporate leaders, absolutely. One more is, I, I don't want you to apologize for your analogies because I really like them and they actually give very good comparison and, and a picture for the people to understand what we're talking about. Next, now I need to remember what I wanted to add here. Yeah, I actually thought about the, uh, the time, the use of time when you talked about the uh, running your numbers and knowing your numbers and owning them, that if you don't do it, that someone else owns your numbers and that's usually not into your... Uh, and not to your advantage. I usually do the same or talk about the same uh, with the time and the energy we spend. Uh, if we are not uh, in control of our calendars and our energy, then someone else will be, and then we are fulfilling their agenda instead of ours. And you need to be selfish, really, especially as a business owner, entrepreneur. You really need to be selfish first and foremost. This phrase that probably everyone has heard a million times first put your oxygen mask on first right before you can assist anyone else around you it's so true and i'm i'm still having a baby business i'm the only employee within the company i have a couple of contractors who are helping me and i i feel it on my skin so much it's really about taking care of yourself first and the interests of your company and the people who are most affected by uh, by your work and only then accommodating the others and it's not in a selfish way, in a like selfish in a negative way. I see it in a very positive way because if you are burning cash, for example, if you're burning out physically and mentally yourself, that will not help those who have been um, working with you, who are your clients, who are your contractors, and so on. 
So it's very important to remind yourself that you really need to take care of your numbers, whatever, whether it's your time, whether it's your energy, whether it is your money. And that will enable you to actually contribute more to the causes that you're, you believe in, to, to the vision and the dream that you have, and to the dreams of the others who you have on board with you. Yeah, very true, Anna. Very true. Mm. So how could we, for example, for example, the weird word here, uh, Brian, how could we help people run or empower people? Let's, let's say that way. How can we empower people to run their numbers in a better way? Because I think this is really a, a huge issue for many. Well, one of the things we talked about when we first talked, uh, Anna, was the, the power of reflection and how um, we encouraged in one business people to keep a reflective diary because we had people with deep technical skills who were interviewing customers and interrogating them about their technical developments. And often deep technical skills can be gained to the sacrifice of perhaps interpersonal skills, not always true, but sometimes true. Therefore, the power of reflection um, would give them the ability to say, did the meeting go well? Why did it go well? Or did you feel it went badly? And why did it go badly? But this is not to be used as some weapon or tool against them. It's actually to be used by themselves to actually say, what is it I find I'm not good at or situations that I manage to get myself into or situations I can't get myself out of. And I think the same thing goes for numbers or anything that doesn't go quite to plan. It's almost as important to find out how did you get in there? So for a time, I kept a reflective diary on a daily basis just to say, what did I like about today and what did I not like about today? And usually I liked the things I did well and I didn't like the things that I didn't do well. Surprise! <laughs> and it could be managing your time. Sometimes you don't enjoy your day because you've really done very little in your own mind and that's because you've not managed your time very well. But that reflective diary does get to the bottom of where is your particular skill set lacking and how can you improve that? And I don't mean that everyone has to have this a normal skill set. We're not able or sport team to be able to play in any position. It's just if you play in a soccer team, you know you need a goalkeeper. And if you're a striker, you can't be that goalkeeper. So the fact is, is understanding, yeah, we keep letting in goals. That's because we've not got a goalkeeper. <laughs> so we keep dropping the ball in the numbers. Uh, and I do equate uh, the, the people that look after the finances in the business, they're the goalkeepers that you're relying on to say, I would, don't drop the ball here because it's so important. So I think getting into the habit of reflecting on situations, good, bad or indifferent, is often really powerful. Mm. Yeah. I love that you bring this point up, Brian, because uh, that's something that I see as a very powerful tool for my clients. And that, that is the only thing that every single client of mine goes through is creating the reflection diary and reflecting every day and every evening in a structured way, answering three or four particular questions, depending on where on their development journey they are. And I see a huge transformation on that and they see it as well. So that really helps you tap into your progress, uh, see where you need to work harder on, and it just gives you some kind of support on the way on top of what we are doing. 
And uh, just to summarize your answer, what I hear here, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, that you're talking about, first of all, getting into habit and reflection is one of the ways to do it. And also like getting, becoming aware of where your flaws are and where you need to work harder on. And the second one, we again tap into asking for help. Again, you, you can't be the, the goalkeeper and, and all, have all the 11 roles of the football team, right? You, you need to be like people with different skill sets to create a winning team. So know your strength, know your weaknesses, and find people who complement your profile so that together you can actually create what you're dreaming about. You're correct, Anna. One more question I have is, you've been doing so much in your life, and I'm really fascinated by your career. How could you? How how did you stay healthy and as positive as you are, Brian? What were your tips or your practices for self care and your own development? Well, when you you, you talked about um, you were describing something there, uh, which highlighted to me what's the definition of a pessimist, and it's someone that thinks what's happened is personal. So, in other words, I lost this contract because they didn't like me. And um, they think it's pervasive, it's everywhere, no one likes me. And they think it's permanent, no one will ever like me. Whereas you just flip these round, I'm an off-the-scale optimist, which can be um, a bit of a disadvantage and, as my wife tells me, rather annoying, um, because I, I like to look upon, uh, someone was talking in the news the other day there about how during COVID we've seen a massive drop in demand, it's dropped 12%. And I thought, wow, it's actually held up 88%. That's incredible. I thought during COVID, nearly everyone had fallen off a cliff. Therefore, if it had said it had been sustained by 12 rather than 88. So I think there's the reversal of situations and I've got into the habit of making a positive out of everything. And I know... Staying healthy was, I was, someone was asking me about my attitude to, to work and I did believe that being the last man standing in the business was the right strategy. I was sending the right message when it was actually quite the opposite. The, I wasn't doing my health any good. Um, energy for me is like butter. If you spread it too thinly, you can't taste it and you can't go on forever. And I think the example... Um, I chair a business and we introduced in 2016 a four-day working week with no drop in wages, but saw a 30% increase in productivity. You think, wow, how could you work fewer hours and end up getting more done? And the analogy I create is you can run 500 metres in a minute if you're a world-class athlete. Therefore, surely it makes sense that you could run um, 5,000 metres in 10 minutes. You just multiply the numbers by 10. So, you know, no, it takes 45% longer to run 5,000 metres. It takes 14 and a half minutes for a world-class athlete. Therefore, we, And everyone says, well, that makes sense because we realise our physical limitations. But when it comes to mental limitations, we assume they are limitless. And that, for me, was who decided that five days a week was, was the right um, volume of work when... I was brought up with my dad and he worked in a foundry and he worked six and a half days and then six and then five and a half and then eventually he worked five days. But it only came down, but who's to say we've come down enough? It's rather about if you're expecting people to sprint in a business 
and be saying, we need to do great things here. Don't expect him to run 5,000 metres. You're asking him to run 500 metres and therefore they need a break. So what we encouraged people in our business to do is if they came in early and did some exercise, they got a free breakfast. If they wanted to exercise at lunchtime, they got a free lunch and 20 minutes extra for lunch. We're trying to encourage them to say, you need to be re-energised in your business. And I, I was someone that, that could almost have a conference call and eat my lunch at the same time. Um, and it would take me, uh, I'd wait until someone was going to launch into a report so I could eat my sandwich because I knew there would be a bit of silence then. And you think, how absolutely stupid was that? It, it was just foolish. But you get drawn into doing that and that, that becomes your life. And that's why I admire, I don't do anything in an exec capacity, it's all non-exec now, but being a, a CEO of a business, whether it's one person running a family and a couple of contractors or whether you're running a thousand people, it's still 24-7. You are thinking about it. So you need to structure. It's ever more important for you personally to structure that space to re-energize, to recharge your batteries. And it's not... When I was working so hard, I would have holidays which were more really like escapism holidays. I was just saying, wow, I'm away. So I ended up having a wow holiday, which was the opposite of what I needed. I actually needed just to sit in the garden for a bit and do nothing. So I do think there's so much in, in hindsight, I think I may have approached differently. Not to say I, would have, I may have not ended up where I am today. So I'm not saying it's wrong, but I think to be able to get that wisdom from someone is really, really powerful. That's a message that I needed to hear, Brian, really. I, I'm guilty of getting into that, like, optimizing, quote-unquote, my time nowadays, listening to some extra training of my business mentor while having my meal. I kind of draw myself away from the desk for that, and I sit at the dinner table with the headphones in my phone. <laughs> So it doesn't happen daily, of course, and not every meal, but it does. I do slip into that. And I, I understand how ironic it is that actually I'm helping my clients get away from that. Yet sometimes I'm, I'm getting in there myself and I'm very open with them about that, that, um, hey, I'm not perfect either. And that's why I always hire help and I invest in help for myself because I need that. Yeah, absolutely. And I really liked your analogy of running and it really makes total sense and it's very exciting to to think about it like yeah that's true my grandparents also worked six six and a half days a week and they didn't have the vacation right or they had like i don't know half a week per year uh or so and uh, just the fact that we got down to to five doesn't mean that we're done maybe it goes further and it should go further because now we have this mental work so much of us and that actually requires totally different resources and we can't be productive mentally for eight hours a day, 40 hours per week. Yeah, so. yeah, we can't sprint together. And, and I do think the working long hours when you're doing a transaction, you're, I was trying to, I was helping someone sell their business um, just before the, the budget there, which was a bit of a deadline. And you do have to work unusual hours, but that doesn't mean to say you can't still take time off. But you realise when you go into a sprint, you're prepared for it, therefore you diarise recovery time. You would never dream of running um, 400 metres in the Olympics and saying, I'm going to go straight on and run a 5,000 metres after that, and then I'm going to go back and do a um, hip task on a 
he would say, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And yet we do that metaphorically in business. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the tragic truth at the moment. Um, the first guest of mine on the show, Mia Thurmlom, she's a coach in Sweden, leadership coach. And she's having this analogy as well, that with our personal development and our mental health, we sometimes think that it's a, uh, like we, we don't realize that it's a marathon and we need to prepare for it. And she gives this analogy as well that, okay, you don't show up at the start line of a marathon saying like, yeah, let's give it a try. Maybe I have it in my muscles and my legs. Uh, let's run 42 kilometers now. You do try to prepare for that because you understand that that's actually strain on your body. And yet we still don't do it with our mental health and our personal development when we try to be good leaders, the genius leaders. We think that, okay, maybe I have it in my body. And then you just take this huge responsibility on yourself of leading others without continuing to train continuously. So, yeah, so I think one of the things I learned was um, not, I, I would work it uh, at the weekend to catch up. And on a Sunday night, I would answer 100 emails believing I was doing the right thing. And there was a couple of negatives came out of that uh, in the Monday morning. Uh, I would have 100 people who it's equivalent to playing tennis with I'm on one side of the net and there's 100 people on the other side and you are overwhelmed by the need to respond. But the second thing is, if you're sending them to people who work for you on a Sunday, you're sending them the wrong message. You're actually sending them to say, I'm working. If you don't reply, I believe you're not. You may not be feeling that, but as I've often said, the meaning of communication is taken in the eye of the reader, not the pen of the writer. So therefore, the meaning of you sending an email to someone on a Sunday, the recipient may well be not in a good place for whatever reason and take it negatively. So my temptation is just don't do it. You can, If you want to construct them and put them in your outbox, just do that. But whatever you do, don't, don't muck up someone else's life. Mucking up your own is bad enough. <laughs> right <laughs> that's so true brian i uh, would urge you genius leaders to actually think about it as well like uh, emails is a very good example how i help myself is two ways i've set up uh, an out respond that says uh, please accept the uh, delay in my response i check my emails between this and that hour so one hour a day once a day and that gives me the pressure. Whenever I go to the email, sometimes I do it when I want to write the email and so on, which is on my agenda and some other parts of the day. But coming into my inbox and re- responding, well, sometimes I have the urge to do that, you know, to distract myself. And then I just pause, like, okay, I won't be able to reply right now. I don't use the schedule function. Function. So what's the point of doing that? I will be incongruent with what I'm sending as a message to everyone. So I'll wait until 3 p.m. my time to go there. And sometimes I could do it half an hour later if I have a meeting and three and so on. But still, I'm staying with that, uh, with that, with that frame. And the second thing I'm doing is actually I'm, I'm talking to my contractors, my team, um, saying like, okay, g- girls, I'm, uh, this is my challenge at the moment. I'm working in the evenings. Um, I, I don't work on the weekends. I'm just preparing for my week on Sunday evening, just kind of sent, setting agenda and so on. But in the evenings, I do work more than I would like to. So if you get a message from me, just remind me. Like, hey, Anna, why are you here? Let's talk tomorrow. (laughs) And those two things are the things that you can do yourself. And the other thing that one of my, one of my, one of people I know, um, he said that he's met a person who's, who's had a rule that uh, if I have an unread email that is 
older than one week, I just delete it. Okay. <laughs> uh, that it means that it's not important enough. And he was a, a high manager in the corporate guy in the corporation. So find your ways of holding yourself accountable and find the support systems that actually can help you stay within the framework that you define as healthy for you and, and your life. Yeah, that's a great tip. That that's a, is is there's that in the world of instant, we are tempted to reply quickly. And I do think giving yourself space and enabling you not to feel self-pressurized into yeah. answering it's a that's a good tactic, that Anna. Yeah, that's uh, that's helping me a lot for sure. Brian, I would like to finish with three questions uh, that I usually ask my guests. First one would be, what would be your three pieces of advice? And that could be about entrepreneurship, personal development, whatever you want. Three pieces of advice. Well, uh, I have got, uh, I believe in the the world that we live in today, there, there could be more kindness. Uh, and I mean by that, uh, tolerance and understanding are the two greatest gifts in life. So to tolerate a situation, understand a person, that if someone honks to you in the car or is perhaps shout at you for a reason, it's not all about you. It, it can be a lot about them. So I think kindness and giving people the benefit of the doubt is um, without doubt a key piece of advice. Um, going back to my, um, I think being audaciously aspirational is great fun. Um, it's rather like I'm sure you've read quite a bit on the psychology of dreaming. But dreaming for me is a really powerful tool to take you into a great place. I remember years ago, I started a habit of doing the UK lottery online and I would get a message if I, if I won something and it would say, great news, you've won a prize. Now, at that time, I would imagine I had won £10 million or something. And I decided not to open the email because I did it electronically to find out exactly how much it was for a week. And my mood state lifted for that week. And I opened it up and I had won £3, £10, never anything spectacular. But then I realised that I had the ability to change my mood state from within. Therefore, when you wake up in the morning and I do say I have an habitual response to people. How are you today? And I say, fantastic. And they say, you're always fantastic. And I actually try and live that word of, yeah, I do believe I'm fantastic. And I think that helps my mood state and maintain it, which during the lockdowns that we've had, your mood state can be can stagnate, let's say. So second piece of advice, the great thing is um, if you're happy, it's because you, you have the right to choose that you're happy. Uh, and nothing else. And I think that the final goes back to my, my dad's comment is, and it's wrapped into the whole kindness thing for me, is is to create that mutual con, uh, contract uh, or that social contract of mutual respect, rather, and, and just deal with every person as if they were, um, as a minimum, your equal, um, and, and certainly nothing less than that, and be interested in them because you become an interesting person by the interest you show in other people. And the great thing about it is when you show interest and I ask you a bit about your life, things you've experienced, Anna, there's two things happen there. One, you feel valued. You feel I am, you get the, the chance of giving 
uh, a, a gift to me. So you do feel valued by it. And guess what? The second thing is I learn something. And there is no bad thing because for me, there's only two outcomes in everything you do in life. There's either success or learning. There's no other outcome. So learning is never a bad thing. Mm. Yeah, I love those tips, Brian. And I, I really like this uh, term, albeit dashiously uh, aspirational. I need to practice to say it a bit more <laughs> a couple of times, but I really love it. And I will definitely use it in my practice and in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Brian, what would be one your, uh, your one practical tip or advice or actionable step that our genius leaders can take and implement or it today, today after listening or watching? Um, and I'm a, an entrepreneur that loves entrepreneurship, so I, I look for key signs and uh, in a marketplace. And uh, I think I, I have been involved in businesses that have been uh, a solution to a problem that's not yet emerged. So the Sinclair C5 car perhaps would have been a great example where a great engineer, Clyde Sinclair, produced this miniature car that didn't really solve a problem, it just caused more problems and eventually went bust. But I like to focus on what's the problem that I'm a solution to. And if you research the problem deep enough, you can shape your solution, whatever your business is, your product or your service offering, you can shape it better if you understand the problems that are out there that you can be a solution to. So it's an obvious one when you say, um, I've got uh, a vaccine that will, that will cure COVID with one swift jab. You've got to say to yourself, that's a global problem. Uh, you understand it and understand the need for it. Therefore, you're looking for big problems that you, your product or service can be a solution to. But it doesn't have to start like a vaccine that goes global immediately. Like anything, big fires sometimes start from small embers burning, but always be learning about the marketplace. That's for me is you'll be able you'll be able to describe your proposition as a compelling one rather than one you're just passionate about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so valuable. I would say I would say it's so it's it's also getting very inspiring when you identify what what kind of problem am I solving and where can I contribute to this world? And I think many entrepreneurs actually start that way, their businesses, right, out of some pain that they see and they want to solve. But it's good to get reminded about that and also take it on a personal level. Uh, it's not going to necessarily be about your company. What, what, what are you personally solving? What, what problem? That's a great tip, Brian. Thanks a lot. Lastly, if people want to get more of you or get in contact with you, what's the best way of doing that? Best way of doing it, you can go into my LinkedIn profile. It's Brian Williamson. You'll find me. I'm happy if you publish that detail as, as part of the, the podcast, Anna. And from there, they can connect with me uh, and get contact details. I'm always happy to be as philanthropic as my, my diary will permit. Mm. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Brian. Well, I'll definitely put that in the show notes uh, so that people can reach out to you in an easy way. Thank you so much for your time and your sharing today. Um, I, I'm sure that our listeners and viewers have seen and have uh, found a lot of golden nuggets that they will take with them into their careers and personal lives. Yeah, and thank you for listening. Um, the great thing about this is it's almost therapeutic. You get to reflect on parts of your life that you almost forgot. 
um, because often you're just on to the next thing and forget your history. So thanks for, for giving me some great therapy, Anna. My, my pleasure. I'm happy that it served you as well. And thank you, everyone of Genius Leaders, for tuning in to listen or watch this and see you next Wednesday. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. Remember, I'm always here for you. And I'm happy to connect with you on LinkedIn or via email or hope on a strategy call. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything. 